Chapter 7 of Marcella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 7 of Marcella by Mrs. Humphrey Ward. Recording by Liz Delasu. Three days passed. On the fourth, Marcella returned late in the afternoon from a round of parish visits with Mary Harden. As she opened the oak doors which shut off the central hall of Melor from the outer vestibule, she saw something white lying on the old cut and disused billiard-table, which still occupied the middle of the floor till Richard Boyce, in the course of his economies and improvements, could replace it by a new one. She ran forward and took up a sheaf of cards, turning them over in a smiling excitement. Viscount Maxwell, Mr. Rayburn, Miss Rayburn, Lady Winterburn and the Mrs. Winterburns, two cards of Lord Winterburns, all perfectly in form. Then a thought flashed upon her. Of course it is his doing, and I asked him. The cards dropped from her hand on the billiard-table, and she stood looking at them, her pride fighting with her pleasure. There was something else in her feeling, too. The exaltation of proved power of a person not, as she guessed, easily influenced, especially by women. Marcella, is that you? It was her mother's voice. Mrs. Boyce had come in from the garden through the drawing-room and was standing in the inner door of the hall, trying with short-sighted eyes to distinguish her daughter among the shadows of the great bare place. A dark day was drawing to its close, and there was little light left in the hall, except in one corner where a rainy sunset gleam struck a grim contemporary portrait of Mary Tudor, bringing out the obstinate mouth and the white hand holding a jewelled glove. Marcella turned, and by the same gleam her mother caught her flushed and animated look. "'Any letters?' she asked. "'No, but there are some cards.' "'Oh, yes, there is a note.' and she pounced upon an envelope she had overlooked. It is for you, mother, from the court. Mrs. Boyce came up and took note and cards from her daughter's hand. Marcella watched her with quick breath. Her mother looked through the cards, slowly putting them down one by one without remark. Oh, mother, do read the note. Marcella could not help entreating. Mrs. Boyce drew herself together with a quick movement, as though her daughter jarred upon her, and opened the note. Marcella dared not look over her. There was a dignity about her mother's lightest action, about every movement of her slender fingers and fine fair head, which had always held the daughter in check, even while she rebelled. Mrs. Boyce read it, and then handed it to Marcella. "'I must go and make the tea,' she said in a light, cold tone, and turning, she went back to the drawing-room, whither afternoon tea had just been carried." Marcella followed reading. The note was from Miss Rayburn, and it contained an invitation to Mrs. Boyce and her daughter to take luncheon at the court on the following Friday. The note was courteously and kindly worded. "'We should be so glad,' said the writer, "'to show you and Miss Boyce our beautiful woods while they are still at their best in the way of autumn colour. "'How will Mamma take it?' thought Marcella anxiously. There is not a word of papa. When she entered the drawing-room, she caught her mother standing absently at the tea-table. The little silver caddy was still in her hand as though she had forgotten to put it down, and her eyes, which evidently saw nothing, were turned to the window, the brows frowning. The look of suffering for an instant was unmistakable. 
then she started at the sound of marcella's step and put down the caddy amid the delicate china crowded on the tray with all the quiet precision of her ordinary manner you will have to wait for your tea she said the water doesn't nearly boil marcella went up to the fire and kneeling before it put the logs with which it was piled together but she could not contain herself for long will you go to the court mamma she asked quickly without turning round there was a pause then mrs boyce said dryly miss raeburn's proceedings are a little unexpected we have been here four months within two miles of her and it has never occurred to her to call now she calls and asks us to luncheon in the same afternoon either she took too little notice of us before or she takes too much now don't you think so marcella was silent a moment should she confess it began to occur to her for the first time that in her wild independence she had been taking liberties with her mother mamma yes i asked mr aldous raeburn the other day whether everybody here was going to cut us papa told me that lord maxwell had written him an uncivil letter and you asked mr raeburn said mrs boyce quickly what do you mean marcella turned round and met the flash in her mother's eyes i couldn't help it she said in a low hurried voice it seemed so horrid to feel everybody standing aloof we were walking together he was very kind and friendly and i asked him to explain i see said mrs boyce and he went to his aunt and she went to lady winterburn they were compassionate and there are the cards you have suddenly taken us all in hand marcella marcella felt an instant's fear fear of the ironic power in the sparkling look so keenly fixed on her offending self she shrank before the proud reserve expressed in every line of her mother's fragile imperious beauty then a cry of nature broke from the girl you have got used to it mamma i feel as if it would kill me to live here shut off from everybody joining with nobody with no friendly feelings or society it was bad enough in the old lodging-house days but here why should we mrs boyce had certainly grown pale i supposed you would ask sooner or later she said in a low determined voice with what to marcella was quite a new note of reality in it probably mr raeburn told you but you must of course have guessed it long ago that society does not look kindly on us and it has its reasons i do not deny in the least that it has its reasons i do not accuse anybody and resent nothing but the question with me has always been shall i accept pity i have always been able to meet it with a no you are very different from me but for you also i believe it would be the happiest answer the eyes of both met the mother's full of an indomitable fire which had for once wholly swept away her satiric calm of every day the daughters troubled and miserable i want friends said marcella slowly there are so many things i want to do here and one can do nothing if everyone is against you people would be friends with you and me and with papa too through us some of them wish to be kind she said insistently thinking of aldous raeburn's words and expression as he bent to her at the gate i know they do and if we can't hold our heads high because 
because of things in the past ought we to be so proud that we won't take their hands when they stretch them out when they write so kindly and nicely as this and she laid her fingers almost piteously on the note upon her knee mrs boyce tilted the silver urn and replenished the teapot then with a delicate handkerchief she rubbed away a spot from the handle of a spoon near her you shall go she said presently you wish it then go go by all means i will write to miss raeburn and send you over in the carriage one can put a great deal on health mine is quite serviceable in the way of excuses i will try to do you no harm marcella if you have chosen your line and wish to make friends here very well i will do what i can for you so long as you do not expect me to change my life for which my dear i am grown too crotchety and too old marcella looked at her with dismay and a yearning she had never felt before and you will never go out with me mamma there was something childlike and touching in the voice something which for once suggested the normal filial relation but mrs boyce did not waver she had long learned perhaps to regard marcella as a girl singularly well able to take care of herself and had recognized the fact with relief i will not go to the court with you anyway she said daintily sipping her tea in your interest as well as mine you will make all the greater impression my dear for i have really forgotten how to behave those cards shall be properly returned of course for the rest let no one disturb themselves till they must and if i were you marcella i would hardly discuss the family affairs any more with mr raeburn or anybody else and again her keen glance disconcerted the tall handsome girl whose power over the world about her had never extended to her mother marcella flushed and played with the fire you see mamma she said after a moment still looking at the logs and the shower of sparks they made as she moved them about you never let me discuss them with you heaven forbid said mrs boyce quickly then after a pause you will find your own line in a while marcella and you will see if you so choose it that there will be nothing unsurmountable in your way one piece of advice let me give you do not be too grateful to miss raeburn or anybody else you take great interest in your boy's belongings i perceive you may remember too perhaps that there is other blood in you and that no merit has ever submitted quietly to either patronage or pity marcella started her mother had never named her own kindred to her before that she could remember she had known for many years that there was a breach between the merits and themselves the newspapers had told her something at intervals of her merit relations for they were fashionable and important folk but no one of them had crossed the boys' threshold since the old London days, wherein Marcella could still dimly remember the tall forms of certain married uncles, and even a stately lady in a white cap whom she knew to have been her mother's mother. The stately lady had died while she was still a child at her first school. She could recollect her own mourning frock, but that was almost the last personal remembrance she had connected with the merits and now this note of intense personal and family pride under which mrs boyce's voice had for the first time quivered a little marcella had never heard it before and it thrilled her she sat on by the fire drinking her tea and every now and then watching her companion with a new and painful curiosity 
The tacit assumption of many years with her had been that her mother was a dry, limited person, clever and determined in small ways that affected her own family, but on the whole characterless as compared with other people of strong feelings and responsive susceptibilities. But her own character had been rapidly maturing of late, and her insight sharpening. During these recent weeks of close contact, her mother's singularity had risen in her mind to the dignity at least of a problem, an enigma. Presently, Mrs. Boyce rose and put the scones down by the fire. Your father will be in, I suppose. Yes, I hear the front door. As she spoke, she took off her velvet cloak, put it carefully aside on a sofa, and sat down again, still in her bonnet, at the tea-table. Her dress was very different from Marcella's, which, when they were not in mourning, was in general of the ample aesthetic type, and gave her a good deal of trouble out of doors. Marcella wore art serges and velveteens. Mrs. Boyce attired herself in soft and costly silks, generally black, closely and fashionably made, and completed by various fanciful and distinguished trifles. Rings, an old chatelaine, a diamond brooch, which Marcella remembered, the same and worn in the same way since her childhood. Mrs. Boyce, however, wore her clothes so daintily, and took such scrupulous and ingenious care of them, that her dress cost, in truth, extremely little, certainly less than Marcella's. There were sounds first of footsteps in the hall, then of some scolding, of William, and finally Mr. Boyce entered, tired and splashed from shooting, and evidently in a bad temper. "'Well, what are you going to do about those cards?' he asked his wife abruptly, when she had supplied him with tea, and he was beginning to dry by the fire. He was feeling ill and reckless, too tired, anyway, to trouble himself to keep up appearances with Marcella. "'Return them,' said Mrs. Boyce calmly, blowing out the flame of her silver kettle. "'I don't want any of their precious society,' he said irritably. "'They should have done their calling long ago. There is no grace in it now.' I don't know that one isn't inclined to think it an intrusion. But the women were silent. Marcella's attention was diverted from her mother to the father's small dark head and thin face. There was a great repulsion and impatience in her heart, an angry straining against circumstance and fate, yet at the same time a mounting voice of natural affection and understanding at once sad and new, which paralyzed and silenced her. He stood in her way terribly in her way, and yet it strangely seemed to her that never before till these last few weeks had she felt herself a daughter. "'You are very wet, papa,' she said to him as she took his cup. "'Don't you think you had better go at once and change?' "'I'm all right,' he said shortly. "'As right as I'm likely to be, anyway. As for the shooting, it's nothing but waste of time and shoe-leather.' I shan't go out any more. The place has been clean-swept by some of those brutes in the village. Your friends, Marcella. By the way, Evelyn, I came across young Horton in the road just now. Horton? said his wife interrogatively. I don't remember. Ought I? Why, the liberal candidate for the division, of course, he said testily. I wish you would inform yourself of what goes on. He is working like a horse, he tells me. Dodson, the Rayburn's candidate, has got a great start. This young man will want all his time to catch him up. I like him. I won't vote for him, but I'll see fair play. I've asked him to come to tea here on Saturday, Evelyn. 
He'll be back again by the end of the week. He stays at Dell's farm when he comes. Pretty bad accommodation, I should think. We must show him some civility. He rose and stood with his back to the fire, his spare frame stiffening under his nervous determination to assert himself, to hold up his head physically and morally against those who would repress him. Richard Boyce took his social punishment badly. He had passed his first weeks at Mellor in a tremble of desire that his father's old family and country friends should recognise him again and condone his irregularities. All sorts of conciliatory ideas had passed through his head. He meant to let these people see that he would be a good neighbour if they would give him the chance, not like that miserly old fool, his brother Robert. The past was so much the past. Who now was more respectable or more well-intentioned than he? He was an impressionable, imaginative man in delicate health, and the tears sometimes came into his eyes as he pictured himself restored to society, partly by his own efforts, partly, no doubt, by the charms and good looks of his wife and daughter. Forgiven for their sake, and for the sake also of that store of virtue he had so laboriously accumulated since that long-past catastrophe. Would not most men have gone to the bad altogether after such a lapse? He, on the contrary, had recovered himself, had neither drank, nor squandered, nor deserted his wife and child. These things, if the truth were known, were indeed due rather to a certain lack of physical energy and vitality which age had developed in him than to self-conquest. But he was no doubt entitled to make the most of them. There were signs, indeed, that his forecast had been not at all unreasonable. His womenkind were making their way. At the very moment when Lord Maxwell had written him a quelling letter, he had become aware that Marcella was on good terms with Lord Maxwell's heir. Had he not also been stopped that morning in a remote lane by Lord Winterburn and Lord Maxwell on their way back from the meet, and had not both recognised and shaken hands with him? And now there were these cards unfortunately in spite of raeburn's opinion to the contrary no man in such a position and with such a temperament ever gets something without claiming more and more than he can conceivably or possibly get startled and pleased at first by the salutation which lord maxwell and his companion had bestowed upon him richard boyce had passed his afternoon in resenting and brooding over the cold civility of it so these were the terms he was to be on with them, the deuce take them, and their pharisaical airs. If all the truth were known, most men would look foolish, and the men who thanked God that they were not as other men soonest of all. He wished he had not been taken by surprise, he wished he had not answered them, he would show them in future that he would eat no dirt for them or anybody else. So on the way home there had been a particular zest in his chance encounter with a young man who was likely to give the Rayburns and their candidate, so all the world said, a very great deal of trouble. The seat had been held to be an entirely safe one for the Maxwell nominee. Young Horton, on the contrary, was making way every day, and what with securing Alda's own seat in the next division, and helping old Dodgson in this, Lord Maxwell and his grandson had their hands full. Dick Boyce was glad of it. He was a Tory, but all the same he wished every success to this handsome, agreeable young man, whose deferential manners to him, at the end of the day, had come like ointment to a wound. The three sat on together for a little while in silence. Marcella kept her seat by the fire on the old gilt fender stool, conscious in a dreamlike way of the room in front of her. 
the stately room with its stucco ceiling its tall windows its prussian blue wallpaper behind the old cabinets and faded pictures and the chair covers in turkey red twill against the blue which still remained to bear witness at once to the domestic economies and the decorative ideas of old robert boyce conscious also of the figures on either side of her and of her own quick beating youth betwixt them she was sore and unhappy yet on the whole what she was thinking most about was aldous raeburn what had he said to lord maxwell and to the winterburns she wished she could know she wished with leaping pulse that she could see him again quickly yet it would be awkward too presently she got up and went away to take off her things as the door closed behind her mrs boyce held out miss raeburn's note which marcella had returned to her to her husband they have asked marcella and me to lunch she said i am not going but i shall send her he read the note by the firelight and it produced the most contradictory effects upon him why don't you go he asked her aggressively rousing himself for a moment to attack her and so vent some of his ill-humour i have lost the habit of going out she said quietly and i am too old to begin again What? you mean to say he asked her angrily raising his voice that you never meant to do your duties here the duties of your position i did not foresee many outside this house and land why should we change our ways we have done very well of late i have no mind to risk what i have got he glanced round at her in a quick nervous way and then looked back again at the fire the sight of her delicate blanched face had in some respects a more and more poignant power with him as the years went on his anger sank into moroseness then why do you let marcella go what good will it do her to go about without her parents people will only despise her for a girl of no spirit as they ought it depends upon how it is done i can arrange it i think said mrs boyce a woman has always convenient limitations to plead in the way of health she need never give offence if she has decent wits it will be understood that i do not go out and then some one miss raeburn or lady winterburn will take up marcella and mother her she spoke with her usual light gentleness but he was not appeased if you were to talk of my health it would be more to the purpose he said with grim inconsequence and raising his heavy lids he looked at her full she got up and went over to him do you feel worse again why will you not change your things directly you come in would you like dr clark sent for she was standing close beside him her beautiful hand for which in their young days it had pleased his pride to give her rings almost touched him a passionate hunger leapt within him she would stoop and kiss him if he asked her he knew that but he would not ask her he did not want it he wanted something that never on this earth would she give him again then moral discomfort lost itself in physical clark does me no good not an atom he said rising there don't you come i can look after myself he went and mrs boyce remained alone in the great firelit room she put her hands on the mantelpiece and dropped her head upon them and so stood silent for long there was no sound audible in the room or from the house outside and in the silence a proud and broken heart once more nerved itself to an endurance that brought it peace with neither man nor god i shall go for all our sakes 
thought marcella as she stood late that night brushing her hair before her dimly lighted and rickety dressing-table we have it seems no right to be proud a rush of pain and bitterness filled her heart pain new-born and insistent for her mother her father and herself ever since aldous raeburn's hesitating revelations she had been liable to this sudden invasion of a hot and shamed misery and to-night after her talk with her mother it could not but overtake her afresh but her strong personality her passionate sense of a moral independence not to be undone by the acts of another even of her father made her soon impatient of her own distress and she flung it from her with decision no we have no right to be proud she repeated to herself it must be all true what mr raeburn said probably a great deal more poor poor mamma but all the same there is nothing to be got out of empty quarrelling and standing alone and it was so long ago her hand fell and she stood absently looking at her own black and white reflection in the old flawed glass she was thinking of course of mr raeburn he had been very prompt in her service there could be no question but that he was specially interested in her and he was not a man to be lightly played upon nay rather a singularly reserved and scrupulous person so at least it had been always held concerning him marcella was triumphantly conscious that he had not from the beginning given her much trouble but the common report of him made his recent manner towards her this last action of his the more significant even the hardens so marcella gathered from her friend and admirer mary unworldly dreamy folk wrapped up in good works and in the hastening of christ's kingdom were on the alert and beginning to take note it was not as though he was in the dark as to her antecedents he knew all at any rate more than she did and yet it might end in his asking her to marry him what then scarcely a quiver in the young form before the glass love at such a thought must have sunk upon its knees and hid its face for tender humbleness and requital marcella only looked quietly at the beauty which might easily prove to be so important and narrow in her quiver what was stirring in her was really a passionate ambition ambition to be the queen and arbitress of human lives to be believed in by her friends to make a mark for herself among women and to make it in the most romantic and yet natural way without what had always seemed to her the sordid and unpleasant drudgeries of the platform of a tiresome cooperation with or subordination to others who could not understand your ideas of course if it happened people would say that she had tried to capture aldous raeburn for his money and position's sake let them say it people with base minds must think basely there was no help for it those whom she would make her friends would know very well for what purpose she wanted money power and the support of such a man and such a marriage her modern realism played with the thought quite freely her maidenliness proud and pure as it was being no wise ashamed oh for something to carry her deep into life into the heart of its widest and most splendid opportunities she threw up her hands clasping them above her head amid her clouds of curly hair a girlish excited gesture i could revive the straw plating give them better teaching and better models the cottages should be rebuilt papa would willingly hand the village over to me if i found the money we would have a parish committee to deal with the charities oh the hardens would come in the old people should have their pensions as of right no hopeless old age no cringing dependence 
we would try to cooperate on the land and pull it through. And not in Melo only. One might be the ruler, the regenerator of half a county. Memory brought to mind in vivid sequence the figures and incidents of the afternoon, of her village round with Mary Harden. As the eyes of servants towards the hand of their mistress, the old words occurred to her as she thought of herself stepping in and out of the cottages. Then she was ashamed of herself and rejected the image with vehemence. Dependence was the curse of the poor. Her whole aim, of course, should be to teach them to stand on their own feet, to know themselves as men. But naturally they would be grateful. They would let themselves be led. Intelligence and enthusiasm give power, and ought to give it, power for good. No doubt, under socialism, there will be less scope for either, because there will be less need. But socialism, as a system, will not come in our generation. What we have to think for is the transition period. The Cravens had never seen that, but Marcella saw it. She began to feel herself a person of larger experience than they. As she undressed, it seemed to her as though she still felt the clinging hands of the herd children round her knees, and through them, symbolized by them, the suppliant touch of hundreds of other helpless creatures. She was just dropping to sleep when her own words to Aldous Rayburn flashed across her. Everybody is so ready to take charge of other people's lives and look at the result. She must needs laugh at herself, but it made little matter. She fell asleep cradled in dreams. Aldous Rayburn's final part in them was not great. End of chapter 7 of Marcella Recorded by Liz Delosue